0: Welcome to The Sword and the Trial, a podcast of Founders Ministries. Founders Ministries exists for the recovery of the gospel and the reformation of churches. I'm Jared Longshore.
1: And I'm Tom Askell.
0: Thanks so much for listening to The Sword and the Trial today. Grateful to have you with us here. A big thanks to our Founders Alliance members. Uh, Thank you for your encouragement, prayer, support. We hope that you're greatly encouraged by the resources that come to you as being a part of the FAM. If you're not a part of the FAM and you're interested in joining, go to founders.org. You can get more information there. Uh, We are very excited about the Institute of Public Theology. Mm -hmm. Uh, It will have classes in the fall, and we're working diligently, really week in, week out at this point, to make sure all the plans are in place. Very soon, the application process will be open, and so go to instituteofpublictheology.org to get more information about that institute we are grateful to have dr joe boot with us on this particular podcast he is no stranger to public theology reverend dr joseph boot is a christian thinker cultural apologist philosopher founder of the ezra institute for contemporary christianity and founding pastor of westminster chapel toronto proud to call Canada home. Joseph is originally from Great Britain and has worked in the fields of Christian apologetics, worldview, education, and church leadership for over 20 years on both sides of the Atlantic. He has spoken and guest lectured globally at numerous university student events, seminaries, churches, colleges, and conferences. He regularly addresses pastors and Christian leaders, as well as academic, medical, legal, and political professionals, and has publicly debated leading atheistic thinkers and philosophers in Canada and the United States. Dr. Boot, We are so delighted to have you on the podcast. Thanks for being with us.
2: Thank you for having me, gentlemen. It's a pleasure to be with you.
0: So there's been so much going on, so much attention uh, in Canada, especially given what's going on with Pastor James Coates and Grace Life Church out there in Alberta. Uh, We thought it'd be good to sit down with you and talk about the landscape there, not only with that particular issue, but then even more broadly. You and I had a recent conversation, and we thought there's just... um, so much help that can come to us who are just South of your border, I guess our border, <laughs> um, as we hear about the state of Christianity in Canada. So we'd love to hear your analysis of the situation with uh, pastor James Coates and just tell us what it's like being up there as a faithful Christian.
2: Yes. Well, these are uh, pretty challenging days right now in Canada. Uh, we, uh, we don't enjoy, I think many Americans perhaps don't appreciate that we don't enjoy quite the same uh, protection mm. uh, as the U.S. Constitution affords you. Uh, in uh, 82, we were um, uh, were treated to, uh, it's been used actually as a battering ram against Christians ever since, but basically Canada introduced its own charter of rights and freedoms uh, to replace the British North America Act, uh, which really protected us under English common law. The charter wasn't really necessary, but uh, they wanted, actually it was our current prime minister's father, Pierre Trudeau, whose brainchild this was. And uh, uh, section two of the charter offers us the uh, uh, protections that uh, you're familiar with, um, conscience, religion, freedom, assembly, and so on. But there's a caveat in section one of the Canadian charter, uh, that basically says the government can suspend these where it thinks it's demonstrably justifiable. And that's a pretty dangerous thing, as most Americans would, uh, would recognize if you start uh, putting caveats into fundamental freedoms. Uh, this lockdown situation through the COVID-related uh, crisis uh, has really, for the first time, put these uh, charter freedoms to the test they've never really been tested before. They've not really been tested in the courts uh, to, the, to, to this extent. Uh, we've had some uh, high profile cases, um, again, perhaps just by way of setting up the situation, it would help some of your listeners to know that um, it was in two th- way back in 2005, so 16 years ago now, that uh, the legislation around same-sex marriage was introduced in Canada And since then there's been a veritable sort of tsunami of uh, legal activism of basically uh, introducing various uh, hate speech codes and and human rights uh, codes and legislation that has um, included revisions of the criminal code. So uh, for example, in, um, in 2017, Um, there was an amendment to the Canadian Criminal Code that dealt with hatred towards identifiable groups. Um, And uh, this was both with respect to speech, with respect to uh, written statements and so on, uh, that would potentially promote hatred and could be deemed criminal. Hatred isn't defined in in that bill, but the Supreme Court here Uh, basically said that it extended to anything likely to expose a person to detestation and vilification on the basis of prohibited grounds of discrimination. And that now includes things like gender identity Mm. and expression and uh, carries up to two years in prison. Uh, So we've had various revisions. There was a very high profile case in 2018 here that went to the Supreme Court. It was Trinity Western University. You guys may have heard about this. A Christian University in Western Canada that wanted a Christian law school um, and because they have a community covenant that requires a certain lifestyle, certain uh, basically a recognition of Christian behavior while you're studying at the university that you won't engage in um, uh, sexual any sexual activity outside of the marriage relationship. It's part of the community covenant. One of the law societies in Canada complained that um, trinity western's proposed law school was discriminatory because it was a had a community covenant a christian community covenant that went all the way to the supreme court and trinity western university lost so the court effectively said you can't have a genuinely christian institution so uh they recognized the court recognized that this was a violation of a religious freedom but they ruled that this was uh, necessary and proportionate to ensure that LGBTQ students uh, could uh, go to this university and feel safe and accepted and so on. So those are just a a few examples. The latest one, perhaps the most serious uh, ever now to come before um, the parliament um, is a because we've had um, the striking down of laws against euthanasia here uh, a couple of years ago as well. But this one, uh, Bill C-6, would be of particular interest, I think, to your listeners because Bill C-6, which is on the verge of becoming law in Canada. It's been through several readings. It needs to go, I think, through one more reading before it becomes law. And this is a, a bill, another bill to amend the uh, criminal uh, code, and uh, what it basically does, it's, um, it's banning uh, so-called conversion therapy. And uh, conversion therapy, uh, uh, which br- brings to mind electric shock treatment and so on and so forth, which nobody practices, is basically a, a the, the guise under which the Liberal government is trying to ban every form of service, uh, every form of therapy, every kind of counsel, to minors who have are struggling with same-sex attraction or gender dysphoria, and to prevent you even uh, advertising it to adults. Uh, and this, this bill uh, basically threatens uh, five years in prison uh, under the criminal code for a violation of this by practicing um, so-called conversion therapy. And this captures um, Uh, Christians, Christian pastors, Christian counselors, it even captures parents. This actually criminalizes parents taking their children to a counselor or a pastor to receive counsel uh, to help them with unwanted same-sex desire uh, uh, and struggles with um, their sense of um, uh, identity as, as male or female. Let me very very quickly, because I know I've rattled on giving you this background. Just um, uh, tell you exactly what this this means. This, is, this was a statement by um, a fellow of the Ezra Institute. He's the director of law and policy and general legal counsel for the Association of Reformed Political Action in Canada. And this is what he said to warn pastors. He says this bill, if passed as written, would make it a criminal offence to help a person struggling with their sexual orientation or sexual thoughts or behavior or gender identity to bring their thoughts words and deeds into conformity with the word of god but the pastor or counselor would be free to encourage a man to explore same-sex desires or experiment with same-sex behavior similarly encouraging a teen girl to love and appreciate and care for her for the female body god designed and paired with her soul would be a criminal act But the opposite, encouraging or experimenting uh, with change from cisgender to genderqueer, non-binary, transgender, is permitted, and the same goes for parents. So that's been the trajectory in Canada since 2005, and then with the lockdown, you've now got Pastor James Coates, who was holding services um, in his church. Uh, The health authority um, threatened him uh, various times for not following mandates of masking, distancing, and 15% in his building. And to cut the story short, it eventually led to uh, his arrest. Actually, they asked him to turn himself in, uh, which he did. Um, And he is now languishing in a Canadian prison in a remand centre awaiting trial. His lawyer has appealed, because the trial has has been set for early May, so he'd be in prison for another eight weeks. Um, His lawyer is appealing that, and I believe this Wednesday uh, is appealing to the Queen's bench to change the conditions of bail, but they basically said to him, unless you promise to stop Mm -hmm. holding services and preaching to the congregation, um, you cannot be released on bail uh, before your trial, and because he refused to agree to those terms he is now in a remand center uh in alberta uh, languishing in a jail uh, awaiting trial
1: dr booth thank you so much for that background and for bringing up bill c6 um as we have addressed uh pastor coates's situation we had his wife on the podcast a week or so ago and um consequently some pastors from canada and those who have served in canada at different times have reached out to us and they've taken exception with our approach to this and one of the arguments that has been posited to us is we should not be fighting this battle here because this is really not a religious liberty issue we've got bill c6 coming down the pike and we all need to be geared up to fight that battle rather than this battle and as jared and i've talked about it 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 just seems um, we're not impressed by that argument, and we think that it's wrongheaded. But these are good brothers, and they are saying, well, look, it's the same requirements on uh, stores and other places of business. that's being imposed upon the churches there in Edmonton, so this is not really religious persecution. So what would you say? I'm sure you must have these conversations with your fellow Canadians there. Uh, what, What do you say in response to those who look at James Coates and say this is not religious persecution? Persecution. He should not have done this. Uh, he is being rightly imprisoned for something other than trying to stand for Christ. How do you respond to that?
2: Yeah, that's a really good question. Well, I think, first of all, the first thing I would say is that it does seem to be, um, people do seem to be confused over the, the nature of persecution. Uh, it's very rarely ever been the case that um, despotic government uh, singles out solely um, Christians in times of repression, uh, oppression, and tyranny. I mean, if you look at the Soviet, former Soviet Union, or if you look at Nazi Germany in the in the last century, it wasn't simply Christians who were persecuted under those regimes. Uh, obviously, in Germany, it was Jews and uh, Gypsies and uh, uh, disabled people. And um, those who fell outside of the Germanic ideal, the sort of blood and soil, the German Volk, that whole idea there of, um, of supremacy. So, uh, and of course, in the Soviet Union, it was anybody really who was opposed to the, uh, the, the governing authority uh, and the, the, the tyrannous form of government. So the notion that persecution, in order to be persecution, must solely single out Christians, I find a bizarre uh, argument, indeed, and it mm-hmm. certainly doesn't, um, it doesn't tie in with what we know of the history of, of the persecution of believers. Usually, when this kind of tyranny comes in, there are multiple targets. Secondly, it simply isn't true that uh, the churches in Canada are um, not being singled out in any way. Uh, schools, for example, are back. Um, uh, the vast majority of schools are are back and children are back in school, back in uh, high school, back in uh, um, elementary school. The issue there is that, of course, there's been so much pressure on the government from families and, and parents, and in some instances, uh, teachers, uh, to get schools open because of the risks to children through the loss of education that, that they've opened up the schools. We have big box stores that are absolutely crowded, ram stacked with people doing their shopping. Um, These are called essential services, as you know. I mean, uh, of course, that's a completely relative term, essential Mm -hmm. for whom. So you've got these large, uh, big box stores making and and cleaning up uh, uh, in terms of the competition, making millions and millions and millions, while uh, churches in many places remained heavily restricted or closed. So so the second point there to be honest with you is it's just not accurate uh to for, for, to say mm. that the, the the churches um are uh, are not being um singled out in some way they're not the only groups for sure uh that are being affected by this but there does seem to be i mean uh, we don't have um we don't have uh, any uh muslim imams we don't have any um business uh leaders as far as i'm aware Or any restaurant owners uh, languishing in prison right now for uh, violation of these orders, and of course these orders are being, you know, violated all over the place. People uh, in in many instances simply can't tolerate all the rules and regulations. So now I would say that there is a that they're they're wanting to make some examples, and they have been doing this. A a church uh, with a pastor that I know well in Waterloo. Uh, here in ontario the church has just uh, received fines now of almost 85 combined fines of almost 85 thousand dollars uh which for, of course most mm-hmm. churches would be um uh, an institution ending fine um you know for for being in violation of some of these orders so i i would say that 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 argument doesn't wash and the third thing i would say very quickly is I do hear this that, oh, we've got bigger fish to fry. There are more important battles to fight ahead. You know, Bill C6 is the big one. But my experience has been, and I've been in Canada um, 17 years now, my experience is that we have a tendency to talk a big game of what we will do in these situations. Um, And there were plenty of people talking about uh, how they would not be locked out over Christmas or over another Easter. And that resistance has largely evaporated, and I don't see in Canada widespread resistance among pastors and churches to Bill C-6. I hear crickets for the most part. So there may be isolated pastors here and there who are ready to to fight this one and resist, Uh, but for the most part, I hear silence. And I think that if we're not ready to uh, make small sacrifices now to retain freedom of assembly, freedom of worship and so on and allow the government to dictate to us um how and when and where and in what form we can actually worship why would we expect that we would resist when they come and tell us how we can counsel
0: Mm. dr boot when uh pastor john macarthur here in the states uh, went through a very similar process as pastor james coates has up there in alberta one of the things we noticed about the Christian Church's response down here is that there was there wasn't um, a whole lot of standing with Pastor John MacArthur and Grace Church out there, and especially from some of our uh, evangelical Christian leadership here in the states. What has been the response of the Christian Church up there in Canada and many of the Christian leaders there? Has it been, uh, similar, and then, as you address that, why do you think um, the Christian Church in Canada is responding to the situation with Coates the way that they are?
2: Mm-hmm. Well, to be honest with you brothers it, it has been tragically disappointing uh the, the the response to these kinds of instances in fact uh you've had prominent Christian leaders and prominent uh, evangelical organizations in some instances, going out of their, their way to attack pastors mm. have remained open. Um, in fact, some have even appeared on secular media, in the secular news on television, to question, um, to speak against uh, these pastors. Some have even written articles in the paper. Um, some organizations, prominent um, organizations, that are, say they're focused on the preservation of the gospel, have published multiple articles that are well, the least we could say is thoroughly unsupportive if not condemning of pastors who have decided to remain open and resist these measures so it has been difficult um we uh, a group of pastors up here uh together we formed something called the liberty coalition canada um we did have a uh, in the early stages of this in ontario we, um, I was involved in a campaign uh, called uh, the, the um, Reopen Ontario Churches campaign. In the end, we had about 450 churches sign a letter that we wrote to the provincial government. Um, so that uh, sounds like a lot, but um, it, it's not really. Ontario is our most populous province here in, in Canada. And then we crafted something called the Niagara Declaration, which was uh, to summarize our, our view of the Lordship of Christ over this situation. And I think we've had about 260 or so churches sign that. So there have been some, I wouldn't want to say there's none, there have been some significant expressions of support in a small, a relatively small number of evangelical and reformed churches. But beyond that um it's either been very very quiet or the environment is critical and in sometimes in some cases heavily critical um, of pastors who, who are resisting this which is in, which is remarkably disappointing i've been truly shocked actually uh, uh not just disappointed but shocked at the degree to which uh, people are prepared to turn on faithful pastors even in the public space um for their stand trying to account for that um jared tom is um is is not easy because there are probably a multiplicity of factors of course Christians are not immune from um propaganda uh they're not immune from um uh fear uh and there's been a uh a kind of a campaign of of fear mongering here in canada around the uh, around the virus um but i would say that uh, that that fundamentally this is a world and life view problem um we're we're in a time where i think first of all the very idea of the absolute sovereignty of god and the lordship of jesus christ over every single area of life and his um complete lordship over his church is not commonly understood or appreciated in fact um some prominent leaders have acknowledged that they've given historically very very little time attention or consideration to uh, the church state relationship Um, what is the what is meant to be the character and the norm for the state Uh, what is the jurisdiction and norm for the life of the church when these come into conflict I mean in the West for for many years we've never really had to uh, confront these things in quite the way that's been foisted upon us in the last 12 months so I think fundamentally I would argue that what we've seen is um, a collapse of the Christian world and life view culturally that's profoundly affected the church. And that has meant that we fall and pray in this situation to a radical reductionism uh, that really sees, um, almost views life uh, in, in, in this, the context of this crisis as a kind of technical biotic survival program, that, uh, that life can be reduced to some sort of minimal biotic survival Rather than the fullness of life, of, of Christ's abundant life, uh, that uh, that human well-being, uh, human health is bound up by liberty, um, our, our social life, the, our faith life uh, of worship um, and um, multiple uh, uh, you know, activities that make human life actually worth living, the life arts. That that's what life is really about. And with this kind of materialistic um, and naturalistic worldview that so permeated our our culture, it's been seems to have been very very easy for uh, people to reduce be reduced to a very reductionist view of what life is, and an incredibly dualistic view of Christ's rule and reign that it's that it's over um, some future vague um, uh, future kingdom um, in eternity and uh, perhaps uh, in my heart and in the inner space between my ears. Um, But beyond that, um, Christ doesn't even appear to be Lord entirely over his church. Mm -hmm. Uh, If the state says you're going to wear a mask, you're not going to sing, you're not going to um, have more than a handful of people in your building, or we're going to close you down for a year, uh, there seems to have been very little resistance to that because stateism is another... Uh, another ism, another ideology that we've been in the grip of, another kind of reductionism, that it appears that we view the state and its functionaries and its technocrats as having an almost absolute authority uh, over our lives. And um, that has not been thought through and dealt with sufficiently in the churches. And so the Christian world and life view is not developed. Um, it's, it's, the Christian mind is profoundly weak here in Canada. And we're suffering the consequences of that
1: now. Thank you for that. Boy, that's, a, uh, that's well stated and covered a lot of ground there. Um, we, we've tried to address these things. We've tried to think carefully about these things over the last few years as all this stuff has happened to us uh, around the world and, and here in North America particularly. And then we've tried to, in our thinking, isolate what are some of the foundational theological issues you've touched on several in what you just said but if you were going to give counsel to serious-minded christians for their own study and then to pastors about here's where you need to go back and preach here's the portions of god's word here's revealed truth given to us that needs to be no longer assumed but taken out highlighted understood and explained and applied what what uh you know i don't know three or four specific doctrines you've mentioned several but how let's let's take them isolate them highlight them and then if you could just give words of encouragement saying okay this is what's at play this is what we the bible says this is how we ought to take it out in light of what's going on today and explain to people as believers followers of jesus christ this is how we ought to be thinking this is how we ought to be living
2: yeah that's uh that's 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 really good and i think um I think probably where we ought to—I would start there—is uh, actually going back to a robust doctrine of creation, Amen. Uh, a really robust doctrine of creation, because I think that um, until we um, understand and, and recognize that uh, the, you know creation and redemption stand in uh, uh, an unbreakable historical uh, continuum. Uh, we, will, we Christians can tend to almost separate off uh, the redemptive life they have in Jesus Christ as their personal relationship with the Lord and personal devotional life and then the life of the, the church, the ecclesiastical domain of life, um, and see that as the area that's really important and have it really disconnected from creation itself and the laws and norms that God's established for every single area of creation uh and the fact that god cares about everything that goes on in creation and culture that all of it actually matters to him and i think the 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 loss of a robust understanding of the significance of creation and how creation is so tied to redemption because it's redemption is about the uh reconciliation of all things to god it's about the renewed creation the as Paul says in Romans 8, it's the releasing of creation from its bondage to corruption. Redemption is about the redirecting of all of life within creation to be back into conformity with God's word. Uh, and that, that was Christ's ministry. That's why he's the, the last Adam and that connection there of creation to Christ, uh, that um, we've been made a, uh, a kingdom of priests unto God in the Lord Jesus Christ, uh, our new covenant head. We're a new race. We're we're a new humanity in Jesus Christ. And if anyone is in Christ, they are a new creature because the trajectory of everything is the new creation, the renewed creation. So I think we have to, to understand new creation, we have to have a robust doctrine of creation. And I think if we started there again by saying creation matters to God, that means that all that everything that man does with creation, which we can call culture uh, matters to God, so so law, education, politics, uh, science, the arts, all of this is part of what Christ is bringing into subjection to Himself. All of the totality of creation that God, God governs in terms of His Word, His law, His norms, His His command and His promise, if you will. So I think that would be the first one. I think the second one is closely tied to it. Um, a huge reemphasis is needed on the Lordship of Jesus Christ. I think we've had a strong emphasis on soteriology in evangelical circles for for many years on justification and so on and of course that's important but salvation has been so radically truncated i think uh, for the most part to again this uh, inner pietistic me and jesus my personal salvation my ticket to heaven rather than uh, the heaven, actually, the new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven into the earth, that, you know, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven, so that we emphasize that it is the Lord Jesus Christ who is our Savior. He's not just my Savior, he's also Lord. And really beginning to develop and unpack what that curios, what, what that lordship really means, and the extent of it, and and the uh, the 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 kind of imprisoning, the the, the truncation, the sequestering, uh, if you will, of of the Lord Jesus Christ uh, into my heart and one institution, the church, and it has been a, uh, it, it has to be recognized that when we ecclesiasticize the Bible and the lordship of Jesus Christ, that is, we limit it to the life of the church, we call forth the secularization of the world.
1: Mm.
2: We call mm. forth the secularization of the whole culture around us. You ecclesiasticize. Christ and his word, then you secularize the culture around you. So I think a redevelopment of the lordship of Christ. I think also the two closely related, as my third and fourth, and they're closely related, would be the doctrine of authority and infallibility. I think that um, you know, the, the 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 doctrine of God's um, absolute authority as the, and of course, authority is related to that word author, so it's connected to creation again. Uh, where does final authority lie? And I think in this current crisis, what it's exposed is where most Christians think that ultimate authority actually lies. Is it really with God and his word, or is it with the state and the state's technocrats. And what does God actually have to say about his authority over the state, over the family, over the church? I think you mentioned John MacArthur. I was so pleased to see uh, MacArthur's second response to all of this, where he essentially begins to develop what looks strikingly to me like a very Kuyperian view of the authority of God over the various spheres of, of life. And I think a close look at that, the issue of authority is important. And closely related to that the doctrine of infallibility um we have been very good i think as evangelical people as reformed people of speaking about the infallibility of god's word in an abstract sense uh as a as an idea but do we be- really believe in the material authority and infallibility of the word of god actually applying it mm-hmm. so i think we've had you know we've had our inerrancy discussions and our infallibility discussions, um, and it tended to remain in the abstract. Um, But what about the material infallibility and authority of the applied word of God in its totality? And I think that draws us back to uh, the need for a a consideration of um, the fullness of the scope of of the word of God as his law word. Um, not as uh, simply a, a book for my personal devotions and a book simply for pastoral counsel in the church, but this is a law word for all of life and the relevance of the totality of god 's law word for not just our life in the church of course and, and, and the family but in culture as well. I, those are the areas that I would that come to mind immediately uh, as, as you ask that question that I think need uh, significant um, significantly more attention.
1: Amen.
0: Amen, <laughs> brother. You speak words that are a tonic to our soul. That's right. Here. You're so, singing our
1: song. Um, that's
0: wonderful. So you're there in Canada in the Ezra Institute. And again, there's just uh, so much going on with the churches and the tyranny that is ever increasing. And it is, um, it's a bleak situation, and yet there's great hope, and God is still God. And indeed, we still pray that Lord's Prayer, and surely He will answer it according to His Word. What are some um, just practical ways we can pray for you and the work that you're involved in, as well as the, the pastors and the churches up there in Canada?
2: Sure, that's wonderful. I appreciate you asking that. Um, well, we we're actually, interestingly, right now we're in uh, the Liberty Coalition. We've called for a, um, a week of prayer and fasting for the church uh, this week. Yeah. Uh, and uh, the focus will be for pastors and leaders that God would give them courage and boldness and wisdom. As they seek to care for their flock as we as we face the possibility that there will be an attempt to lock the churches down for a second Easter in a row. Uh, so we'd really value prayer uh, for that generally in terms of pastors in in Canada, um, that uh, there would be courage, there would be renewed boldness, there would be um, clear leadership. Um, and that God would just grant us an opening of the churches. I mean, we look south of the border to to you guys in Florida with a certain amount of of envy. Um, You know, it's hard enough for us to even leave our own country right now and get back in without being put in a a government uh, uh, hotel quarantine. Uh, We're not even allowed to freely re-enter our country to, Mm. to have a break, have a holiday for pastors to go on some kind of retreat or vacation or whatever. So prayer for that. Uh, for the for the Institute, um, we would really value your prayers. We are trying to address this whole issue that we've just talked about by equipping and training uh, young people, young adults. Um, we have programs for teens. We have programs for young professionals and university students aged 39 through about 35, uh, where we're trying to equip a new generation with a robust biblical world and life view and, and uh, a serious and um, coherent cultural apologetic. And uh, we run programs throughout the summer to do that, as we have programs for professionals in the fall as well, pastors and business leaders and so on. But we would value a special prayer right now for um, the summer, because at the moment, with the restrictions of travel into Canada, uh, much of our faculty here actually is drawn from the United States and Europe. Um, We have the resources i guess what i'm saying to you is the resources here for teaching at our programs are thin in terms of leaders and speakers who understand these issues and can address them so the ezra institute uh, has some canadian fellows but many of our fellows if you look on our website are american or they're british or they're european and we tend to rely on some of those people to join us for teaching and if the borders remain shut down that'll be a real struggle for us this summer with our programs we'll be having to uh adjust the program so we we'd really appreciate prayer that god would just grant us success with our worldview and a cultural apologetics training for young adults we do welcome when the borders are open we do welcome americans we have lots of american interest in our programs up here we have students coming from the u.s so please pray for us and we'd love to see some of you at our our programs and um uh you know, people might be encouraged to hear what or, be, or at least be warned in the U.S. about what's going on in Canada by following our podcast, which is Worldview Wednesday, which you can subscribe to as well. But please do be praying for the Canadian church because we are in a very, very tough spot right now.
0: Amen. Dr. Booth. thank you so much for being with us today. Amen. It's been uh, wonderful. And thank you for listening to The Sword and the Trowel. Very grateful to have you with us. Hope you were very much encouraged by this podcast.
1: We look forward to talking with you in just a few minutes uh, further about some of these things. And you can access that in the armory.